All right. Um, well, my uh, assignment tonight is to uh, teach you guys a little bit about uh, the trial, or whatever you want to call the sham that was uh, Jesus' trial. Um, so what I'm going to try to do tonight is I'm going to try to point you guys to um, some of the maybe historical things that you didn't know, some of the uh, traditions and things like that that actually explain kind of what was happening um, in the video you just watched. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this time that we spend together uh, would be a fruitful time, Lord, that these uh, little bits of history and context and subtext, Lord, would just uh, help us to understand this so much better than we already do. Help it to come alive to us. Help it not to be something we just have read in a book, but something that we know to be true and that uh, we live in light of daily. And we thank you for this day in your name. Amen. All right, so Jesus is arrested. Um, and you know there's four Gospels. All four Gospels have a different, slightly different um, perspective on how they're teaching it. It's all the same story. Uh, Matthew is taught, is written to the Jews to prove that Jesus is the Messiah that was coming. Uh, Mark is the Spark Notes version, or if you're older like me, the Cliff Notes version. Uh, it's the version basically like you'd find on Wikipedia, you know, a quick little version. Uh, meant to be easy access, meant to be something you could go to and just say, oh, hey, here it is. Luke is the one we've been going through. It's the higher level, much more intelligent uh, written. It's the actual true, straight through chronological reporting. Um, and then John, which was the last of the Gospels written, uh, which is not including what's called the synoptics, is uh, the gospel that kind of uh, disproves an early heresy called Gnosticism. All four have a different audience in mind, um, and all four have a different aim. Um, and so what we try to do is we try to put all of them together to get the fullest picture possible. And it's really cool, because if you think about God um, in his infinite wisdom, instead of just giving us one account where someone could say, well, see, that one person saw this, but that didn't actually happen, he's given us four accounts written on three different continents, um, all interspersed with all sorts of really cool nuances that help us get the fuller picture. Um, not ever in the history of the world has there been more study on an uh, individual's life than this, just like what the Apostle John writes, that if every single, uh, if every single word of Jesus that's been said about him, uh, all the teachings written down in books, that the world would not be big enough to hold all the books. And I think that's true, especially even today with all the stuff that's being said. So let's walk through uh, the, the, the trial, okay? Um, and there's actually three separate trials that Jesus deals with. Um, and I'm going to try to kind of give you a picture of how those all work together. So I will uh, jump around a little bit in the Bible, uh, but most of it is going to be in line with what you just saw in the video. So I'll try to kind of just add some, some flavor to the video. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is taken to Caiaphas in the video. That's not actually a completely accurate. Uh, Jesus was first taken to a guy named Ananias or Anas or something like that. He was the high priest from a long time ago, and um, they would have taken to him, to him first because he was kind of the oldest living ex-high priest. Uh, in the Gospel of John, it says, hey, they took him to Ananias, the high priest, and then they take him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And people will go, hey, wait, there's two high priests. This book's made up. Well, actually, what it is, is when you go to a high priest, that what used to be a high priest, you still call him high priest. That's why if you know Bill Clinton had not been a president, you would have always called him Governor Clinton. It's this honor. Um, and so taking him to Ananias, uh, the high priest, was a form of basically saying, we're going to get every single religious bigwig lined up on this, this story of Jesus. Um, Ananias was uh, kind of disgraced and kicked out of being the high priest. And so he said, okay, fine, I'll quit. Here's my son. And then that son was disgraced. And then he kept doing that same thing. 
five times in a row. So really the high priest at this point um, in Israel's history is basically an aristocracy where a super rich family just chooses the high priest. There's not a lot of God left in the high priest at this point. So they take him to Ananias in the middle of the night. This comes from John 18. Uh, Ananias starts confronting him. Jesus answers back, my teachings are public record. I've been teaching in public. I haven't been teaching in private. Um, and one of the guards of Ananias thinks that this is kind of an affront, so he slaps Jesus, and Jesus goes, what did I say? I, I said the truth. What, what do you, what's wrong with what I said? Um, so Jesus would not answer their questions, knowing that it's kind of a, a sham, um, and not all, also recognizing, too, that Ananias is probably one of the main reasons why the Jewish nation at this point has really left the worship of the one true God. So then they take him to Caiaphas, who actually lived in the same exact palace. Uh, the high priest's palace... Uh, was huge, very opulent. Some people actually comment that it was up there near like Herod's palace um, in opulence, um, which is kind of ironic for a, supposed to be a humble man of God. Caiaphas is actually Ananias' son-in-law because he'd run out of sons to put in the position of the high priest, so he puts his son-in-law in there. Um, and so father-in-law walks him over to Caiaphas and says, okay, go take care of this guy. Um, so now, Jewish law says that anytime there's a trial, it has to be during the day, especially if the death penalty is going to be, be taken. So the fact that they start this in the middle of the night shows that they are scared of the following that Jesus had. Remember, a week ago, last Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and there are crowds, and they're yelling, Hosanna, and they're waving around the palm branches and laying their cloaks down. So it was a big party. Everybody was excited. Uh, it says all of Jerusalem was stirred up by this. So they are scared, scared to it. Okay. So they have a night meeting. Um, probably the actual crucifixion starts early in the day on Friday, and all this stuff would have happened probably around midnight to 1 o'clock at night. Um, now, Jewish law, so it's interesting. They don't follow one of the Jewish laws, but they try to follow another one. Another Jewish law says they have to have uh, two witnesses that agree on something before you can put someone to trial. We actually like this law so much that it's actually the same law we have in our Constitution dealing with treason. You can't charge somebody with treason if just one person sets. Um, so we borrowed that uh, as a nation. So all these witnesses come forward, all primed by the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And they get up there and they're saying, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. They, all, they don't agree. It's kind of ironic. They don't all just lie. Um, they just tell the truth, but none of them can agree that what Jesus actually did. And so Caiaphas sees that his little indiscreet meeting with a few of the head uh, leaders in the Sanhedrin and himself in his palace is kind of going off the rails, and he's worried that some of their opinions are going to change. So he asks Jesus a very pointed question. And we see this question in Matthew uh, 26, 63. And what he says is, he says to Jesus, I found my spot here. He says, um, High priest, I adjure you by the living God. Basically, he's putting him under oath. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, so what he's saying is, I charge you by God. You have to tell me, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand, uh, the power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. All right, so that's kind of a little, the first part you've said so, that's kind of an idiom, it's kind of a phrase. Basically, you're like, yeah, you know it is true. You, you got it. You know, and so um, the high priest understands that he's not saying, wait, I said it? Wait, that's not right. What he's saying is, yes. That's basically, the, that's, that's the John Roberts translation. All right, so then Caiaphas, as we saw, tears his robe and yells blasphemy. 
Blasphemy! Okay, and again, another mistake by Caiaphas because you can only declare blasphemy if you use the Lord's name in vain, um, is, which is what the Talmud, which is a, a, a Jewish doc, document that explains how to enforce the law and things like that. So even though he broke that rule, and he's broken the rule of having things in the middle of the day, they continue forward. And they're going to go for uh, priest. The, the high priest just basically wants Jesus' death. Um, and so I can kind of see, like, in the video, he rips it. He's, like, foaming at the mouth. He's so mad because, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm coming back in the clouds. I'm the son of God. I am the one who has God's ear. And the high priest is going, wait a second. My, my, son, my, my father-in-law, all of his kids, they said I have the, the relationship to, to God. And, unfortunately, Jesus says, you're wrong. So the high priest is, is flipping out. So I stop here for a second the story and give you a little bit of application. And I think about Jesus in this point. Jesus does not you know, strike back. He keeps taking and taking and taking these injustices. I mean, you know, for example, when Jesus is down there and they're kicking him and saying, prophesy, Jesus could have said, freeze, and they were all frozen, stood up and said, all right, your great aunt Petunia did this, and your uncle was this, and you have an extra toe on your foot, and you could just go through all the different things about every single individual's lineage, their, what they're thinking about, everything. But he never does. He just continues to take it and take it and take it. And all this injustice, injustice. And I don't know about you guys, but when I see injustice, especially, I wish it was injustice on others. I, I, I get upset about that. But I really get upset about when it's injustice on me. You know, how dare they do that to me? How dare they say that about me? Um, and what we see here is we see this picture of Jesus basically saying, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about others. And he's deferring to God and God stepping up and going, don't worry, I got this. And that's ultimately where we have to be as Christians. Uh, we have to be willing to stand up and say, you know what, sometimes people are going to say things about us that are absolutely, incredibly false. Um, and unfortunately, those people that usually are saying that are the ones that are speaking the loudest and have the most people paying attention to them. So I encourage us you know, to, to stand back and recognize that the Lord fights his battles. Uh, and sometimes he chooses us, but many times he chooses us to step back and let him fight. And like we see with Jesus. Now, some scholars at this point will say, oh, this could not have happened. The Sanhedrin would have never broken all these rules. That's ridiculous. And so they'll discount everything, okay, including Jesus dying, raising from the dead, and the fact that there's you know, 300 historical figures that have you know, proven that he's really there and all that, different, all that stuff. They just throw it all out because they say they would never have done this. And actually what we can see is that the Gospels and other Jewish documents support the fact that this actually did happen, that they did throw out all the rules. So Caiaphas decides that he has committed blasphemy. Next morning at daybreak, they get the Sanhedrin together. It's still been really dark outside. They have a special meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is made up of 70 individuals and the high priest. And they all came together and they start voting. They vote from youngest to oldest, and the high priest votes last. So the very newest member of the Sanhedrin, this, this ruling elite of the Jewish nation, would get up and, you know, probably about 20 years old, would have stood up and said, guilty, all right? And then they would have all voted, and uh, the, we, we believe the actual tally would have been 69 guilty votes and two abstentions. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we suspect, probably did vote uh, to put to death. We don't know if others did as well. Now, at this point, if Judea was not ruled, if Israel was not ruled by the Romans, they would have taken Jesus to a cliff and thrown him off the cliff and dropped rocks on him, uh, which is called being stoned. A uh, very different definition than we have here in maybe Portland, but um, the idea was that they would uh, kill him using uh, dropping rocks on him. But because Rome was in charge, 
Rome had to oversee all death penalty. And, and so what they would do is they'd have to get a Roman procurator, a perfect, is what they also would call him, uh, to sign off on it. And that man's name was Pontius Pilate, who actually pretty much every single picture we have, which are all drawn way after actually Pontius Pilate died, is of him as a bald man, kind of a little bit obese, kind of like we saw in the video, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, he was the second longest tenured Roman governor in Palestine, in Israel. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, he was ridiculous, he was an idiot, he didn't do a good job. Actually, he did a really good job. He was actually a, a very successful, even in light of some of the things that we're going to see here in a second. Um, but he had a rough few months before Jesus came along. Uh, he had three things in particular that we know historically that happened that kind of primed him for this moment. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. The first one I call the Roman Standards Affair. Um, and this basically was, you know, Pontius Pilate was like, hey, I got some troops, we got some new uniforms, got a nice cool standard. The standards are these big things that they hold that have flags on them. Um, if you want to kind of imagine, it's basically what Hitler had when he would march into places he wanted to be Rome. Um, I guess maybe he almost succeeded. Um, and so they were marching in, and on the standards was a big picture of Caesar Tiberius. And the Jews absolutely hated this. They said, no, 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 that's a graven image. We are offended by it. And so they rioted for five full days. There was just unrest and riot and bloodshed. No one actually died, but it was pretty close. So finally Pilate goes, fine. He rolls them up, puts them in a FedEx, and ships them back to, uh, to Rome. So that was six months or seven months before Jesus came along. The second one, what I like to call the aqueduct malfeasance. Um, Pilate paid for an aqueduct using the funds, the leftover funds in the temple treasury. When people would show up to the temple, they'd drop some coins in, um, and there was extra funds, which according to Jewish law actually was a good thing because the aqueduct brought water into the temple, everybody was using it, and there actually is a, a, a little rule in the Talmud that says if you have excess money, spend it on making the city better. But the Jews were not going to have this. The Israelites were not going to have this. And so they rioted again. And Pilate sends his troops in again. And he says, don't kill any. Um, but unfortunately, he, they killed several. And so again, Pilate backed down. And he actually paid for the aqueduct out of his own private fortune, which uh, he had a pretty substantial one. So we've got Roman Standards Affair, the aqueduct malfeasance. And to keep the, like the title of Big Bang Theory, uh, Theory episodes together, we'll call this last one the Golden Shield Confutation. All right, if you don't know what that word is, Google it, because I had to look it up too. Uh, basically what it is, is Pilate now thinking, okay, we've gotten through the aqueduct thing, we've gotten through carrying in the standards, and everything's all good. He says, we're just going to put up a, um, some stuff inside the Roman-only part of my headquarters, that says, yay Tiberius, right? Because you always want to kiss up to the Caesar because he could kill you. You know, that's kind of the way it works. Um, but the Jews heard about it, never even saw it, okay? They heard about it and they rioted again. But this time, Pilate's arch enemy, Herod Antipas, which we'll talk about, that was the guy with the big roll and the five chins or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> we'll hear about him here in a second. He steps up and goes, hey, don't worry, Israelites. I'm going to write a letter to Tiberius. To sh I'll be on your side. Because Herod was brand new to Israel. And Herod's uh, family history was not a great one with the Jews. And so he stepped up and said, I'll be your, I'll be your fighter. And he writes this letter to, to Tiberius. Tiberius writes a letter back saying, Pilate, stop. Um, you need to uphold all the religious and political customs or you're going to lose your job. All right, so basically, Pilate's now on probation. 
Okay, he's got his two strikes, and if he gets one more, he's out. And you don't ever want to get kicked out of being a governor somewhere. You want to retire. Because if you get kicked out, you have to either go into exile, which is like maybe 5% of the time. The rest of the time, you kill yourself. Okay? Um, so it was not a good thing to get fired. And so there's this, you see that all the way through Rome. So another application here. I'm going to applicate for you. All right? Um, Pilate was primed for this moment. Every single thing in his life led to this moment where he's standing there and saying, guilty, not guilty. All right? And I think that you know, while that's a really cool story, yay, good story, right? Um, you have to understand that this is the way God works. Right? There's not a piece of your lives that are out of place. You all are here on purpose. All right. You know, remember when uh, Jesus uses the parable of the hundred sheep and one of them's missing and God goes after him. He knows where his sheep are. He knows why you're here. And each one of you was brought here on purpose. Pilate missed his chance. Don't miss yours. Okay. Easter happens once a year. You're here for some reason. Maybe it's because you're trying it out. Maybe it's because, hey, you know, we have cool music. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Okay. Um, free coffee or whatever. Um, you're here for a reason. And if God got you here because of the coffee or an invite or just because it's a different thing, don't miss why he's brought you here. And that is to have that relationship with him that Pilate missed out on. Okay? So now we move to the Roman trial. Okay? And remember, what was the reason why Caiaphas tore his robe? Jesus had committed what? Blasphemy, Blasphemy right? Well, the Romans don't care. Right? If you watch this video again, you'll see he says blasphemy, and then he walks to the pilot and says, oh yeah, here's what he did. He says we can't pay taxes. He says he's the son of God. Oh yeah, and he's going to be a king. I don't hear blasphemy in there at all. Right? And the reason is the Romans don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't like the fact that he was going to be a new king. All right? So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Takes him inside and interviews him. This is in John 18, uh, 38. 33 through 38. And basically what he says is he says, uh, you know, how do you plead, Jesus? And Jesus walks him through it. And Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord or that others tell you about me? Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have I done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, and then we get that famous statement at the end of that, what is truth? And that's where, Plato, that's where he's kind of hearkening back to, uh, to Plato. So basically, Pilate's like, okay, yeah, all right. All I'm hearing is you're a Jewish king, and they don't really like you. Doesn't make any sense to me. There's nothing. You've not broken any Roman law. Let's go back outside. So he goes back outside, and he says, I don't have a case. Caiaphas stands up and says, wait, but he does this and this, and he does it in Galilee. And right then, if there would have been a little cartoon character, it would have been a light, bing, for Pilate. Huge light. He's going, I can send him to Herod. Let's let Herod deal with him because Herod was the guy that embarrassed me in front of the, 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 the Caesar, Caesar Tiberius. It's, let's send him back to him. So he sends him back and he says, oh, go with him, yes. And so, you know, Pilate's like probably reclining because that's what Romans did, right? They'd recline and he's like, sweet. You know, someone's probably dropping grapes in his mouth and fanning him. And he's going, ah, just, Herod's going to screw it up and I'm going to be fine. He'll be the one that Tiberius is ticked off with. And so he sends him to Herod. Now, Herod knew the Jewish law. He understood the Jewish law probably better than Pilate. And, you know, if he was going to be killing a prophet, Herod seemed to be doing a pretty good job of that. He had killed John the Baptist recently. So Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, yes, he actually survived being related to Herod the Great. Herod the Great was known for killing off family members because someday they might kill him to take his throne. Okay? 
we live in a screwed up world, but this world's pretty messed up too. Uh, so Herod Antipas' nickname is the Fox. Killed his brother to marry his brother's wife, and was probably because of young years in the room um, a little too close to his daughter. Um, and so all of this makes up why you see Herod as this creeper. Okay, um, so. Herod Antipas was in charge of a different portion of what was modern-day Israel. They decided early on, instead of having one leader, they needed to have two, so that way the Jews could divide their venom, and they wouldn't be just going at one. It's kind of a a saving the governors kind of thing. And so that's basically what it was. So Herod, this would be a huge honor from Pilate. Pilate did not have to do this. In Pilate's mind, he's thinking, I'm going to kill the cur with kindness. I'm going to just, you know, oh, I love you. Here, take care of this really important thing, which you're probably going to screw up. But yay, right? And so Herod was really excited to see Jesus. You saw that in the video. All right? Jesus, however, will not utter a simple phrase to him. He will not say anything. Because a few months before, Herod killed his cousin, John the Baptist. You know, remember who Jesus uh, called his Elijah? was preaching, you know, preaching about the coming of, of Christ. So they, they, they list all the charges before Herod. He asked Jesus to speak. Um, and basically, you know, Herod was kind of the Sanhedrin's hero. Okay, he had stood with them with the golden uh, shield confutation. Um, and so Jesus didn't say anything. So he says, "All right, let me weigh this out. I can take the blame for killing Jesus, or I could send him back to the person who's actually responsible for this area and let him kill Jesus." Hmm. Third strike for Pilate. That sounds better than anything I'll do here. Send him back. So Herod sends him back. And now Herod later on will get his, but that's a totally different story. All right, so Jesus goes back to Herod, and at that moment, it says Pilate and Herod became friends in Luke 23.12. Um, I think probably what it was was more like Pilate wanted to be friends with him to get some political face, uh, to save face, and Herod was like, hey, it was nice and cool. You know, I think Herod probably thought their friendship wouldn't last very long, thinking Pilate would mess this up. And then Pilate gets Jesus back, and he's going, dang, I thought that would work. Am I going to get a break? This has been the worst six months. So he says, you know what? Herod didn't see any blame in him. I can't find any blame in him. Let's let him go free. So he says, hey, you know what? Let's just make it nice. Passover time. You know, Passover. I get the general idea of it. I'll release a prisoner like I always do. And you can have Barabbas, or you can have Jesus. Um, But as this is happening, Pilate's wife has that dream. That kind of scary, creepy dream of the lamb and all that. And she says, have nothing to do with this innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. And we'd say, okay, cool footnote, let's move on. But the Romans actually had a pretty big, like, ugh, about dreams. All right? There was a very, very famous dream, Calpurnia. Um, she had a dream about Caesar right before he was you know, stabbed to death, I don't know what, how many times it was. Um, on the Ides of March. So um, she had a dream about that, which led to then later on he was killed. So pretty much if you're a governor and your wife has a dream, you're listening. So now Pilate is conflicted. It's dream, let him go. My conscience says let him go. But really, honestly, if I want to save my career, save what I've worked so hard for, I'm going to have to put him to death. So he interviews him. Troops wrap him up. They beat him. They hit him. They put crown of thorns on him. He leads him back out and says, hey, look, you know what? I have beaten the snot out of him. I flogged him. He's done. Okay? See, I punished him. Let's let him go. Now, what Pilate didn't get was this was another huge offense to the Jews. Because when you flogged somebody, you said, eh, not that big of a crime. When you crucified, you said, huge crime. And so their call for crucifixion 
was saying, this is a huge crime to us. Let's solve it. His saying, well, I beat him. That's enough, right? Was saying, that wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big crime. So he was kind of, again, on the, the brink of another riot. And so when it says later, it says Pilate sees the riot starting, you kind of get that he'd been through this. And he's like, this isn't good. So you do, uh, you do it. He says, I have nothing against him. The, the Sanhedrin says, we have laws. You have to do it. Pilate takes him aside and says, where did you come from? Don't you know I have authority over you? And Jesus utters the line, you have no authority over me. It has not been given to you from above. Um, takes him back outside. Um, Pilate's getting ready to wash his hands. And he says, listen, I really don't want to kill this guy. And the Sanhedrin stands up and said, or the Caiaphas stands up and plays his last trump card. He says, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. For anyone who would make himself a king treasonably defies Caesar. This is what he was saying. If you set this man free, we will send a delegation to Tiberius accusing you of a condoning treason and a subversive king counter to the Caesar. We know that you want to be a friend of Caesar's, but we will make sure that you are not and you will have to then end your life because your life's at stake if you don't kill this man. So basically, where Pilate is, Pilate is, I have to choose to sacrifice my dreams, my life, my what I want for me, for this man who's done nothing wrong, or I can sacrifice this man who's done nothing wrong, keep all my dreams and live for myself and be from be myself. And you know what? Maybe I'll hear about this guy in the future. Maybe I won't. I've probably heard about him now since he's dead. Um, but Pilate has the same choice that each and every one of us has. All right. I can choose to be in charge of my life and I have a plan for my life. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Or I can choose to say, Lord, I'm going to lay it down for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you like you did for me nearly 2,000 years ago. And then he will then give that life back to you in a way that you didn't even know. Pilate was staring his Savior in the face and saying, you know what? My life is not worth more than yours. So I'm going to, I'm going to save my life. I'm going to make sure I live another day. You're going to go ahead and die. So for Jesus, he dies twice for Pilate. He dies for his career and his actual life, and he also dies for his salvation. Um, so I ask you guys, you know, are, are you going to be willing to take Jesus up on his sacrifice? Pilate wasn't. Pilate was willing to do his own thing, live for himself, live for what he thought he wanted. And the whole time he was doing the wrong thing.